You're listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you'd like to know more about Hope Central or any of our ministries, please visit hopecentral.org.au. October, me and Georgie, my wife, we were blessed to visit Tasmania for a, a little holiday. And some of you might have been there. It's a, a really beautiful place. And we played tourist for a week, driving around the island and visiting lots of sites. And one day I was standing uh, atop of a really high place. And this was my, my view. And I can see there. I don't know if you can, you can make out the, the waves there going into the, the sort of the bay, making sort of perfect signals. But in that, in that moment, looking down at that, that image, um, it, just, it just struck me that, um, that Jesus Christ and his work on the cross created this, like this perfect wave that was just echoing from one point outwards throughout the world, sort of creating a, a new creation, uh, forming a, a new reality for us all as believers. Um, in that moment, I, I realised that it's, um, it's the truth of Jesus that pierces the hearts of, of all of us, of all men and women, that, um, that we need him as our saviour. And I, and I imagine those waves that just kept spreading outwards, creating a sort of a, a rhythm, um, a rhythm of, of grace that just reverberates through each of us throughout time and, and throughout history, spreading the news of, of the gospel, the new reality of walking by faith and not by fear. So let's, let's pray as we begin. Father, I just want to thank you so much for your church and thank you for Jesus, the, your son, who, who died on the cross and set us all a new reality and created in us a new creation, Father. We just thank you so much that everything he did sets us free from fear, sets us free from shame and rids us of, um, of, of fear, Lord. So we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so that, that photo when I was looking there was taken from what's called the nut, which is there on the right. And that's, um, that's sort of the remnants of an old volcano. It's like a volcanic plug. And I was standing on top of that looking down. And that's up in uh, Stanley there on the sort of the northwestern part of Tasmania. Um, and you can see there, that's just one of the amazing sites in, in Tasmania that you can visit. Another um, you might have heard of is uh, Cradle Mountain, which we also were fortunate to visit. It's a beautiful place, um, Tasmania. You know, there's so much nature. There's, there's mountains, there's forests, there's coastlines. There's also a lot of history, and I want to just touch on that shortly now. That, um, you might have heard of Port Arthur, which is, here's a photo of that. And that's, that's uh, an old convict settlement, which was opened around the sort of 1830s. Um, and sadly, it sort of represents a bit of a dark chapter in, um, in our history in this country because it's known for how brutal and, and harsh it was as a, as a convict settlement. And it started as a, a bit of a timber uh, plantation and it spread over time. And, and in its heyday, it actually had over 2,000 convicts and soldiers and officers with their family there. Um, and it's a really massive place. There's actually, to the right of this, you can't see it, there's a whole town of you know, churches, houses, all kinds of residents there. It's sort of exploded into this huge, uh, huge settlement. 
And that's just one example of, of, of convict history in Tasmania. There's others like over here in, in what we call Macquarie Harbour on the, uh, the sort of western side of, of Tasmania. There was actually a number of settlements and that's because Tasmania uh, presented sort of a, a natural prison. If I just go back, you can see there that on one side is dense forest. So, you know, if people tried to escape, they would get stuck in the forest. They'd often, unfortunately die of starvation because they couldn't get through. On the other side was just uh, rugged and, and, and treacherous waters so really uh, it was really no way out and actually all the settlements there didn't have fences. You know, If you think of prisons today, big fence, big uh, walls but in these ones no fences because it was sort of a natural prison. And these settlements like Port Arthur and like the ones in Macquarie Harbour uh, were really successful for a period of time. There was Tasmania had a lot of resources and there was um, shipbuilding and lots of industries that would go on because they had heaps of trees available there to use. And like I said, there was really uh, a natural sort of prison. And that's what I want to touch on. It's actually that Tasmania and the, the settlements there were so harsh in the brutality and the, the way that the prisoners were treated. Um, some of the harshest convict conditions of modern history were recorded at uh, settlements like Port Arthur. Whipping and, and flogging and, and really harsh physical treatment was, was common practice, as was sleeping in chains, uh, not having any bedding, uh, malnutrition and disease. They were all common because of the harsh conditions and the brutal environment. Um, if I just go forward here, there were things called chain gangs where prisoners like this would um, be charged with, you know, your job for today is to march up into the forest, find a, a giant tree, cut it down and then lug it by hand all the way back to the settlement. And although it doesn't depict it there, they commonly did that in chains. You know, they had to do it whilst being chained up. It was, um, it was really dangerous work. And see the... The, these settlements were based on the sort of philosophy of, of grinding these prisoners down. You know, it was really strict rules and really harsh penalties. And that was the system that they were working on, that it was about rehabilitating these prisoners by really grounding them down, you know, really breaking them down into, into sort of submission. And unfortunately, there's lots of recordings of, of death and of people sort of uh, not being rehabilitated at all, and this system, or thanks, this system, or or, or way of of thinking, this harsh rule of law, was really prevalent there, and also prevalent in Jesus' day, and we see that in lots of different interactions that Jesus had with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. For instance, in in uh, and that's what we're talking about, rule of the law. In this instance, in John eight. Uh, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. So this is an example of just the way that they were thinking, the system that they were acting by. You know, they've found a, a lady who's been caught in adultery. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Didn't find the bloke. He must have slipped through their hands. Couldn't find him. But they found her and they've caught her and they've come to Jesus and now, you know, you've got to punish her. We've got to, we've got to let her know that's right or wrong. We've got her act in a way that's um, ex- sort of expressing judgment. Um, and Jesus, you know, he flips the situation around and he does it in a way that reveals their own guilt. And it says that one at a time after Jesus has rebuttaled there about let any of you who's without sin cast the first stone. It says that slowly over time the, the people there, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they all slowly walked away. One at a time they realised their guilt and they realised that they were with sin. And Jesus said to the woman, where do they all go? And she said, well, there's, there's no one around. And he said, now go now and leave your life of sin. See, their law and way of thinking, that system of thinking, led them to stoning this woman. And that, that's what we would call legalism, the idea that um, it's about really strict adherence to the law. You know, with the Pharisees, it was strict adherence to the Mosaic law of the Old Testament. With the convicts, it was about strict following the laws. You know, if you, if you do anything out of line, you're getting whipped or there's going to be a harsh penalty for you. And see, the, the, this way of thinking has no room for, for grace or faith. It's black and white. It's right and wrong. And that, that led them in this example to extreme action based on judgment from their law. But as I said, Jesus revealed to them their own sin. And at the same time, he didn't condemn the woman. So that same way of, of thinking, the, the black and the white, the right and the wrong, that legalistic sort of force or spirit that was alive in Jesus' day and in the days of, of Port Arthur and those convict settlements, it's alive today. It's actually influencing us. It's influencing our, our rulers, our laws, our society, even me and you. It's even creating its own rhythm in our lives. I don't know if you realise this, but we all gravitate to that sort of style of thinking, and you might be thinking to yourself, "Well, I've I've never been a convict. You know, we're probably related to one being in Australia, but you know, I've never been to jail. I've I've never been in chains. That's but how often do we cast judgment on right and wrong? You know, I had a little issue come up yesterday, and the the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, what can I do? What can I do to change this? Not what can God do? Later in in the Gospel of John, Jesus told the Pharisees, if, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. And then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered, but we're Abraham's children. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we'll be set free? See, they didn't understand what Jesus meant by free. They couldn't see the, the scales in front of their eyes, the hardening of their hearts and minds and that legalistic way of thinking and acting, the spirit that influenced their actions and innermost thoughts. They were so concerned with that strictly following the law to the T, keeping to the script, keeping the outward appearance, that they were like robots and they couldn't even recognise the Son of God standing in front of them. In the Gospel of Mark, we see the same thing. Jesus enters the temple on the Sabbath and encounters a man with a withered hand. 
And it says that the teachers of the law watched him so that they might accuse him. And on coming to the man, Jesus asked the, pres- uh, the teachers there, he asked them, so is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. So they were so indignant. It says that they plotted to kill Jesus in response to this. Not acknowledge this miraculous healing or, or even worship God at, at what had just happened, but kill Jesus. And that's because he broke the law. The law says not to, not to act on the Sabbath. And Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. You know, he's not allowed to do that. And that's why, they, that's why they responded so strongly. You know, Jesus is, is trying to point out that their judgment had become twisted, that their hearts had become hardened and stubborn like stone. Their need for getting it right was more important than the needs of, of others or the needs to worship God. They would rather sacrifice opportunities to bless others, to create and do good in favour of doing the right thing. And I think deep down this, this came from a fear of getting it wrong. You know, Jesus knew that they were afraid of breaking the law, afraid of the potential judgment that they could face. And just like the, the convicts, you know, if they repeated an offence, they'd be punished harder. If they repeated an offence or did something else, they'd be punished harder. They were conditioned by their environment, the teaching, the, the forces of the day, conditioned to live by the rule of law and act out of fear. And I want to say to you that that spirit is alive today. That spirit is alive in our society and and unfortunately it influences us, repeating and echoing throughout our society. You might have heard it on TV, heard it in the streets, heard it in your home or even coming out of your own mouth. That right and wrong, tit for tat, you you did this so I'm going to get you back. I know it's influenced me and it's probably influenced you. And it's created the need to get it right over the need to follow God. And I think it might have, it may produce a fear of failure in, in me and in you. And there are conditions of the world, that um, forces of the world that make us think and act in this legalistic way. You know, you might think, oh, if I've done the wrong thing, God, God will punish me. Or maybe God won't bless me. You know, I just have to stick to what I know, just play it safe, not worry about trying to do something too far or, or do anything that could go wrong. Just want to keep to what I can do. And this might, you know, this might skew the way you see God or the way you see others. It creates a fear. And fear is a funny thing. You know, on, on Monday this week, me and Georgie, we, uh, we tried the tree climbing thing. You might have heard of this in, in Adelaide. It's where they have set up in the parklands all these, these sort of obstacle courses that are suspended a couple of metres high in the air and you get to get all strapped and harnessed in and get to try and, you know, climb through them and navigate them and it looks, looks a bit like this. You know, you get to go through bridges like this. Sorry, sorry if anyone has a fear of heights. Should have said, look away now. Um, but, you know, you're climbing up like this and, and I remember thinking, you know, I'm safe, I'm strapped in, we did the video, I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident, I'm not really afraid of heights. And yet when we're going there, you're holding on and 
you know, your heart's starting to beat a little bit faster and you start to breathe a bit more and you start to sweat a little bit and your palms start to get a little bit more sweaty and you tense up and even though I know I'm, I'm safe but throughout my life I've learned about gravity and I've learned that what goes up must come down and from a couple of metres high in the air that my brain's saying this is going to hurt this is going to hurt you've got to hold on hold on even though it, it wasn't that hard I mean but uh, there, you know there's even a Tarzan style swing that you could hook in and free thaw and it was really really cool but you know fear it makes you think differently it makes you act differently uh, it can change the way you behave I was so tense even though I knew I was safe even though I knew uh, there was really no chance of me falling or being hurt but I was still tense I was still afraid you know in an American study presented at um, the annual convention of the Psychological Science uh, Association, um, researchers found that university students who fear failing often engage in self-sabotaging behaviours that actually limit academic success and perpetuate failure. And they also talked about students with a high fear of failure experiencing more negative emotions like shame and embarrassment. You know, maybe fear makes you give up before you even start trying. Maybe it makes you stop before you even start. Maybe you might tell others, well, I'm going to fail anyway. You know, I'm going to set the expectation low. You know, it can be a way of protecting yourself against, you know, possible failure. It can make you run away from the calling of God. Think about, think about Jonah. Uh, he was called to preach repentance to the men of Nineveh. But he was afraid. He questioned his ability and he ran away. And we know eventually he was swallowed up by a great whale. Think about Moses, who was called by God to lead the Israelites out of Egypt after 400 years of captivity and slavery. A great call. And but yet he feared. He doubted himself because he was slow in speech. He didn't trust his own ability and he was afraid of failure. Have you ever met someone who let fear rule their life? Maybe that's you. Maybe you have engaged in behaviour, whether you've realised that or not, that stopped you from moving forward, stopped you from following the call of God. You know, Proverbs 24 says that a righteous man falls seven times and yet rises again. And yet when you're afraid of failing, it's so much harder to try again and to get back up. You know, fear can really hold you back and can stop you from experiencing what, what God has in store. It can restrict you. It can stop you trying new things and creating. And failure is something that we, we almost actually expect in our society. We're obsessed with it. I mean, if you turn on the news, if you turn on the radio, if you read any event of uh, any show watch any review of a sports game. It's all about how bad it was. What, what went wrong? Where did they stuff up? You know, everyone's tuning in to try and find out where did they fail? How went wrong? It's because of our conditioning, that spirit of legalism. It's like we expect failure. And I think for some of us, we're worried that uh, the failure is, what, is sort of how we'll be remembered. 
It's what will stick, what, what went wrong in your life, not, went, not what went well. You know, if you're afraid of failure, you're, you're more likely to become a failure because that fear can consume your life and take over your life. It can make you obsess over what other people think about you. It can make you worried about disappointing failure. You know, and if you, if you look up what is fear of failure, what, is, what does it look like? You know, symptoms can be things like low self-esteem, poor motivation. We avoid trying in the first place because when we believe and act in a legalistic way, and we're afraid of failing, we believe everyone else thinks that way too, including God. There's something really you know, dehumanising about losing the desire to try, about not trying to help, not trying to create, losing our passion for life. And this fear can stop us bringing our gift to the world. The rule of law is based on failure. You know, the law was given to the Israelites so they could know what sin was. And over time, what this produced was a desire to try and earn God's righteousness by their actions, to try and undo their wrongs by what they can do. They focus more on God's laws than a relationship with God. But see, the system is based on failure. It's based on them and now us getting it wrong. You know, legalistic thinking is expecting failure. It's being afraid of failure. And see, after Tasmania, I, um, I was inspired about the convict history. I really had no idea. I was completely ignorant of it, and I'm no expert. But I've started reading a book called The Ship That Never Was. And it's a story about a convict by the name of James Porter, who was sent to Macquarie Harbour, where I showed you before, and uh, which was actually the settlement that was made before Port Arthur, um, and it had similarly lots of different industries, and again, they were really well known for building ships. And an artist's depiction looks a bit like this. You can see it's quite a small island. Uh, they had lots of troubles with that island because, again, the conditions were horrible. They couldn't grow food on the island because the soils were so poor. There was constant overcrowding of prisoners. The disease was rife and there was real exposure to the harsh conditions. And again, they were very, uh, very brutal and, and you know, did lots of corporal punishment and, and whipping and flogging. And so there were no surprise that there was lots and lots of escape attempts from this island. Um, and James Porter and a, a group of convicts were some of the last convicts to leave because, because of the struggles, eventually they, they shut down the island and, and formed Port Arthur and they were all shipping off everyone to go to Port Arthur and there was one group left which James Porter was a part of and one last ship which they built there to sail off to Port Arthur. And so James Porter came up with the great idea, let's steal it. Let's steal it. Let's steal it and sail it off and escape. And he did. He managed to steal the ship. And that says they actually sailed across the Southern Ocean. I think I've got a... Yes, the ship might have looked something like this. They managed with just a group of about 10 convicts who most of them had never sailed before. They managed to steal the ship 
and sailed across the Southern Ocean, eventually abandoning it in Chile. Unbelievable. Fair. Not make it up. Promise it's real. Um, see, despite years of, of being in that system, years of, of being exposed to harsh conditions, years of brutal, severe punishment, it never really changed their character. They were still rebellious. They still wanted to make their own freedom and escape. And Jesus, he knew that harsh rules, it just doesn't work. You know, Matthew 23 told the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean. See, Jesus knew that 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 legalistic way of being, that spirit, didn't produce real change of heart, only the outward person. Jesus knew in the hearts of those Pharisees and, and teachers that they were only operating at an appearance level. There was no transformation of character. There was no letting go of the, the fear of getting it wrong, only a focus on the rules and the regulations, not on God. And it's the same with the convicts we talked about. They had so much going against them and they were in, under that rule, under that strict law, and it didn't change them at all. So the law doesn't change the heart. The law doesn't change the heart. 1 John, uh, the Gospel of John, 1 John verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And it's that truth that reverberates through the heart of every man and woman. It's the truth that we are all sinners and that we need a saviour. We know deep down we can't redeem ourselves. We can't earn our salvation. Jesus knew that we needed another way, the way of grace and truth. And to achieve this way, Jesus took on all our failure, all our sin, enduring the harshest of punishments, being treated much worse than those convicts. He chose to be nailed to the cross. He didn't try and escape. And he was deprived. He was tortured. It says that even God withdrew his spirit from Jesus in that moment because God is so divine and almighty. He couldn't tolerate the weight of sin that Jesus had taken on. That was our sin. You see, it was on the cross where Jesus took our failure and became sin. And so that through his blood and through his sacrifice, we could be made holy. Jesus turned death, which is the ultimate act of failure, into a glorious victory. And taking away any punishment that we are due, taking away any shame or fear and removing our failure. You know, Ephesians 2 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of of God, not by works that no one can boast. It's a gift, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God gives us that gift in the Lord Jesus. And he also gives us the Holy Spirit. Later in John, in chapter 14, it says Jesus was telling his disciples leading up to the cross and he told them that all this I've spoken whilst still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you 
all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Mel spoke about peace this morning in the worship. You know, that's the peace from Jesus because he takes away the need to earn our salvation. He takes away the fear of failure and he gives us that new reality. But he doesn't give as the world gives, not a tit for tat, right and wrong way. But it's through grace that he gives and he leaves us our peace so that we not be afraid. And he also calls us to abide him. In John 15, he's again telling the disciples leading up to the cross, he tells them to abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Abide in Jesus. He's talking about a union with himself, a connection with Jesus. Because the vine and the branch are connected. They are one. There's a reciprocity between you and Jesus. He's also talking about relying and depending on Jesus. Because the branch is dependent on the vine. The only way to produce any kind of real spiritual fruit is to depend on Jesus. And he's lastly, he's talking about continuance with him. To abide is to reside to remain, to hold on and to persevere in the truth of Jesus Christ. He's saying our lives should be ordered around abiding in the presence of Jesus. You know, you read that and and, and think, what is it do you desire? I mean, it says you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. you. Do you want to bear fruit? Or are you content with playing it safe, holding on to your own life and not relying in him? Abide in me. He's saying, don't blindly follow the rules, but seek me, walk with me, love and trust me, hold on to my teaching, be set free by my truth. Abide in him and experience the transformation by the Holy Spirit, the, tr- the fruit of a transformed character, the real change of heart, the fruit of living by faith. See, without him, you can do nothing. You can't bear any fruit. Legalism is is based on action. It's based on right and wrong. But real righteousness, real holiness is based on love. Now, Billy Graham, the great preacher Billy Graham, said that faith is believing and receiving what God has revealed. What God has revealed in the Bible, in nature, and in conscience. It's a personal trust apart from any works. And we've talked a lot about what Jesus has done, what was revealed in the Bible, about the truth of the gospel, about his sacrifice and the need to abide in him. But what has God revealed in nature and in our conscience? 
Well, I think God is really clear that he's a creative God. I mean, we went to Tasmania and saw some amazing sights, some amazing beauty in the environment. But I don't think you have to go far to see that, that God is a creative God. If you look outside, the, the Bible says that all creation worships him. You can see that the creativity of the Father is all around us. But what has God revealed to you in your conscience? What has God inspired you to desire? You know, when someone says creative to me, I think creative types, arty people, musicians, maybe it's other things like a carpenter who builds and creates with his hands. It can be anything because we all have gifts because we're made in the image of God made in the image of a creative God. Hmm. But to do this, to reveal our gift to the world, we need to abide in Jesus and remember his peace. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us, to help us let go of this legalistic thinking, to let go of fear and to accept the peace of God. And Candace last week spoke about engaging with the Holy Spirit and I really encourage you, if you weren't here, if you missed it, to go back and listen to that. Because I th- but I think we also need a community of grace, like this church, like this place. We need somewhere where we can practice grace, not judging one another by right and wrong and tit for tat, but receiving grace, expecting grace, expecting forgiveness, having opportunities to grow and create without a fear of failure. You know, and I've, I've failed many times up here. I've done this wrong. I've done this wrong. I've made lots of mistakes. And yet the people here, the leaders, never judged me, never wrote me off, still gave me chances. So I just want to ask you today, as we come to a close, what will you be remembered by? A life lived in fear of failure or a life lived by faith, a life lived with passion, a life lived well. If I can just call up the band to come now as we close. I talked a little bit about history this morning and I just want to finish with history. Don't get too excited. There's a, um, an old photo I found in preparing which is actually of this suburb and you can see here in the middle coming up, I think I've got a pointer somewhere, here, but you can see that big main road there. That's Goodman Road. And this photo was taken, I'll double check, was from 1959, over 60 years ago. And you can see that I've got a little excerpt there you can read. Norm Russell had a pharmacy and that building there, and and that's the building that we're in today. And flash forward to about 36 years ago, that building looked a bit like this. There's a butcher and a food service and a jeans. Poor old Norm didn't make it through, but um, a pharmacy must have been tough back then. But you can see, yeah, it's quite a good building. A lot of people do say they remember this place as the old jeans factory, and and there it is. Um, And I tried to find some more recent photos, but we know that after a while, in the years coming, it it sort of fell out, and eventually this church bought the building. And you all know what it looks like today. Here it is. You know, I think um, when the church and the leaders would have said, let's, let's buy this building in, in Elizabeth South, you know, that's probably one of the most disadvantaged communities in the state, if not the country, 
uh, I'm guessing there would have been some doubters. There would have been probably some thinking that, is this going to work out? You know, is this actually going to succeed or is this going to fail? And yet the leaders here, they didn't give in to that. They, by faith, persevered and brought their gift to the world, which has blessed all of us here today. Um, so I just want to ask you, what will you be remembered by today? Because we're made to bear fruit. We're made to take on the burden of growing and the joy of responsibility and to live by faith. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for Jesus Christ, that he set us apart, that he created a new reality for us to walk in, not in fear, not in shame or in embarrassment, but free, free to bring our gift to the world. We just pray for that release today, Father. We would be set free from fear of failure, Lord, and be able to bring our gift to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.